To Be Honest is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that NFL ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks the prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game, including seat views before you buy the ticket so you know what it looks like and you know who you're sitting behind, or at least you're not sitting behind a pole. So head over to the App Store or the Play Store now to download the GameTime app and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Welcome to another episode of To Be Honest. I'm your host, D'Angelo Williams, alongside my co-host, Jake Seeley. Jake, what's up with you, man? What's on your mind today? Oh, we got a lot today. We got to get to the NFC today because we didn't get to the NFC last week. We could talk about their problems and a lot of good stuff as we always do. Some uh, quarterback talk and even maybe some Eli Manning talk. But I, I don't want to say too much because I know you've been uh, chomping at the bit, kind of ticked oh, off dude, I, recently. I, I, so, I've been pissed. Are, are we, are we <laughs> doing to be honest at the beginning of the show this week? Is that yes, what we're doing? Yes, because I, I feel like we need to go ahead and get this out of the way and we need to address this elephant. That has been in the room for very for a very long time, uh, but this elephant has never been this close to me for me to see it in the room, okay. if you will. Uh, at, do I have the floor now? Uh, you do, although I would think of elephants in the room, it's kind of hard to miss. But well, I mean, it depends on the size <laughs> of the elephant. If is it a toy elephant? Is it stuffed? Is it like a real elephant? But this elephant has been. Very elusive because, you know, when you come in a room, you don't automatically assume that you'll be looking for an elephant. You just come in a room and you take in the decor, you take in what may be on TV and you may miss that elephant until that elephant is referred or after you. And that's when you notice it like, damn it, it's right there. And it's been there the entire time. And I never saw it, but you don't see it until it's addressing you or something that you like. So I'm going to roll into my to be honest like this. To be honest, the NCAA. And this is why I had an opportunity to watch my Memphis Tigers beat the Cincinnati Bearcats in the AAC championship and watch our head coach take a job at Florida State. This is what I don't understand about the NCAA and about universities, period. These coaches sign contracts to coach for four, five, three or four years with a buyout clause. And they go into these parents' home and they tell these these athletes, hey, you know, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be your coach. And these kids commit for four years. They go into this university and then this coach leaves and take a better job. If the NCAA really cared about these kids, they'd do something about these coaches. Because guess what? When these coaches leave and these kids try to leave right behind them, they're penalized. But they're penalized because of uh, a wish or a promise that the coach made to them when they came and sat in their rooms. I am getting sick and tired of watching these big schools like the Alabamas and the Florida States and the Floridas, all these big name schools. Their coaches are terrible. They make the wrong decision. And what do they do? They go down to these lesser known universities or these power sixes or these small schools and they handpick these coaches because they know that these smaller schools don't have the budget to pay these coaches the big time money that they want or that they think that they need. 
So they go to these bigger schools, but NCAA, if you talk to them, they're trying to bridge the gap. They don't want the the, the distance between talent from Alabama to Appalachian State to be that much different. They want it to be a competitive environment. Bullshit, if you ask me. That's why I'm so pissed. I see Appalachian State, he make a name for himself. Now he's going to Missouri. The Cincinnati coach, you know, the UCF coach. Anytime any of these coaches make any type of noise uh, in the top 25 or they win football games, there's another coach that's sitting there about to get fired that's in the SEC. You know, the Arkansas, the Vanderbilts, um, Missouri, these teams in the SEC that are are, uh, cellar dwellers, even Kentucky, that are down there in the, the bottom of the barrel, they come in and they handpick these coaches and say, we'll give you $4 million, $5 million. They make their buyout a lot higher than what it was when they bought them out from the school that they was at. Like, is there any kind of way that we can combat this to where, hey, if our coach leave or he decided he want to take a better job, then these kids at these universities have the opportunity to transfer and go wherever the hell they want to go without penalty. There has to be something done, Jake. Like, this is awful. It didn't affect me until now. Like, I would see it all the time, and I'd be like, you know, I look at that elephant, and it didn't quite look like an elephant because it wasn't that big because it didn't affect me. But being down in that locker room, watching those kids cry after winning the biggest game in our program's history and bringing home that conference championship, to watch those kids cry and be like, damn, man, you know, we losing our coach. You know, I gave him everything. Everything that he wanted and more. I poured everything out of me into him. And he decided that he wanted to pick up and do what's best for his family. I get it. I understand the business aspect of this. But what about the kids, Jake? No, so look, the NCAA, we know is a problematic organization to begin with. The NCAA has got its own issues. I, I will say this. I was going to I thought I was going to have to jump in and be like, ah, you know, let me give you the, a little bit of the other side. But then you rectified it at the end because the answer is what you just said. The answer is letting, letting the kids transfer to schools and not be penalized with the whole you have to take the year off or even have to submit and get a re- you know request to be allowed to play. You know what happens for students that are working on MBAs or just a regular degree or getting scholarships for whatever they can do whatever the hell they want. They can decide to switch schools. I switched schools after a year and a half at one university. I went from Liberty University to Old Dominion University. I lost a half a year because I lost CLEP test. I didn't lose a half a year where I wasn't allowed to take classes. I wouldn't lose a half a year and I wasn't allowed to do whatever. I could do whatever the hell I want. And guess what? If I'm also not there on a scholarship, I could have I could have played for the baseball team. I actually had the baseball team that wanted me to play. But I would have been like the 30th man because I wasn't that good. So I didn't do that. But you're you're you answered the question at the end. I'm with you, D'Angelo. The whole thing. Look, I'm going to support the coaches just like I support you and support the players and support everybody. Go get your best money you can. Go get the best job you can. If you have a better opportunity, take it because it might come around again. I understand you're going to do what's best for you. So I don't have a problem with the coaches leaving. And, you know, the whole they will promise they would be there for four years. That Well, you know what? Things change. I have no problem. The coach wants a better job. He wants to improve his career. He wants to make more money. The problem is what you said. Well, if that happens, if the player came to the school under said coach and the coach leaves, every single one of the however 70 some odd allowed players should be allowed to transfer schools and immediately play at the new school. Yes, I 100 percent agree. So we, we have a quarterback there. His name's Brady White. He gets a lot of hell, uh, but he's been playing at a high level. Uh, obviously, you know, we went 12 and one this year. We'll go 13 and one after we beat Penn state in the cotton bowl <laughs> down in Dallas on the 28th. But just looking at his situation, like if he loved Norvell enough to leave, 
he graduated when he was at Arizona State. He transferred to the University of Memphis. So he used that transfer after graduating already. So he is in a position to where if another coach came in and decided to bench him, if he went anywhere else in D1, he would have to sit out that year and couldn't play right. ever again as it relates to D1 football. He can drop down, obviously, but he can't stay and go somewhere or enter the transfer portal, portal if you will. Like, it's insane to me how these we'll coaches have Gainwell. the freedom to do whatever they want to do and not be penalized for it. Like, I, I, I honestly believe that, um, like, say Oklahoma or Florida State uh, came into the University of Memphis or Virginia Tech and was actively recruiting students that play on that football team. That's a penalty, right? Right. You can't do that. But Florida State and Ohio State or whoever can come in and talk to our coach, though. That's bullshit. Like, if no, you're going gonna to protect the players enough that much, then when football activity is going on, you are not allowed to talk to our coaches, our AD, the university. When all football uh, so it has should be like ceased, the NFL. that's when you can come in. It should be like the NFL. So you, you can't talk to the coaches until they're out of the playoffs or the team gives you permission. Right. Like absolutely. This, yeah. We we win the AAC championship, bro. I go into the locker room, you know, immediately after, you know, we got players crying, you know, they can't even really celebrate because ESPN broke the news that our head coach took the Florida state job. He was trying to wait till like, well, thereafter before he said anything because he wanted everybody to enjoy the win, but couldn't do that because he had already came to terms with Florida state. And you know how the media is. They want to be the first one to break the news. Which, yep. you know, I, I get it. I, I understand it's, it It may be, in, in his sense, a better job. It could it very much could be a better job. He could get better recruits. But here's the thing, though. We got a freshman running back that uh, was freshman all-conference. He was a redshirt freshman. He rushed for 1,700 yards. He has the opportunity, if he wants to, he can transfer to Florida State. Or he can stay at Memphis or he can go to another college. My thing is, is like, what do you do to those players that are committed to you and you decide to take another job like, are you actively recruiting the guys that are there now that when you do go to Florida State that you can come back and get them? You've already planted that bug. Like, there's a lot of things that I have issues with here with the NCAA, whereas if, like the NFL, like nobody's allowed to talk to anybody, university, your agents, anything, until all football activity has ceased. That way you're not in season or have a bowl game going on. And then you wonder why these guys sit out bowl games and like, you know what, I'm not playing. That's just another thing that I'm jumping on the player's bandwagon with in terms of playing in bowl games. If you have an opportunity to go to the NFL, sit out that bowl game and allow them other players to play, and then you make your jump. Because if the NCAA don't give a damn about you, why should you give a damn about the NCAA? No, and the college is making all the money off the bowl game. You, you, you tell me, D'Angelo, it's not worth it to you for you to get your little grab bag of goodies? No, it's 100% not worth <laughs> the, the grab bag of goodies, especially like looking at Tua. Tua, you know, he had an opportunity to be a first, a top five pick, potentially the first pick in the draft. You know, fast forward now, it's Joe, uh, it's the quarterback at LSU Burrows. that's now the front runner, and they're trying to figure out where the hell to put Tua because of his injury. Yeah. That's, and I the NCAA, there's no sweat off their back. They're still selling jerseys. They're still operating business as usual. Uh, we can all be pissed off and mad, but again, we're still not doing anything. Like, how, how can we make enough noise to change this broken system that they have as it relates to the players? Because this is getting bad, man. It is getting terrible. And again, before it happened to me or before it happened to the University of Memphis, I, I didn't see a problem with it. But again, you don't see a problem with anything until it happened to you. 
No, and that's look, hey, I've been on this bandwagon. Well, I don't know, we call it bandwagon campaign trail, whatever. I'm with you in the fact that the players should be allowed to transfer. That's that's the answer. That's the simple answer, and that would fix everything. And obviously, they're going to worry about and have to implement rules of you know you can't just have players jumping schools all over the place because that's the whole point of it to begin with. But at the same time, why? Like, yeah, okay, after two years, let's just let's say your coach hasn't left. Let's say. Memphis coach still there two years from now, actually just after next year. I said bring up that play. I said bring up Gainwell because I, I know I, like I've seen him. He looks terrific. He looks great. Yeah. Why are we telling Gainwell? Well, you know what? If you if you destroy the next two seasons and look great at Memphis, you might be a first rounder. But your future, if you transfer to, let's say he's transferring to Florida State and not the head coach, you get the transfer to Florida State, and now you get to build your career profile even more because now if you go and put up those same kind of numbers at Florida State against ACC competition, now you're guaranteed probably to be inside the top 10 of the draft. So again, I'm with you. Why are we penalizing students to leave to go to better their situation in general? Like, what is the fear? That's my question to you, D'Angelo. Like, what, what's the fear? Like, is the NCAA afraid that everybody's just going to transfer to Alabama? Like, why do we care if the kid wants to change his mind two years into his college? Guess what? People change their degrees, their your concentrations, their schools all the time. Why are we singling out the athletes? I think we're singling out the athletes because you don't want it to be one-sided, which it is already one-sided. You know, you have your top-tier teams. That's why <laughs> yeah. they're called Power Six, Power Five. You, there's a reason for that, and and yeah. because Memphis, of that, they, Memphis lost one game, and as you mentioned, they get Penn State that went ten and two, who still ranks seven spots in front of them in the bowl game because of that. Cincinnati, who you know lost their games, actually the one game that Memphis lost, they're facing they're in a, the Temple's in a bowl game, but they're all facing North Carolina, who arguably maybe you don't deserve to be where they are. <laughs> that's that's what I think is crazy. Like you look at our body of work, and you compare it to any other team out there. We've paid, I mean, we've played four or five different top 25 teams, but it's because their strength of schedule wasn't up to par with the strength of schedule of maybe these SEC schools. Like you see kind of like the changing of the guards, you know, Alabama lose two games this year and their fan base is calling for Nick Saban's head. And I'm like, you guys are drunk. You guys should just probably relax, lay off the (laughs) liquor and allow that man to continue coaching uh, Alabama the way he's been coaching them. And LSU takes the throne out of the SEC and potentially the favorites to win it all with Clemson, you know, fighting in Ohio State, nipping at the bud. I get that. I totally understand all of that. I just try to figure out how can we fix this broken system that we call the NCAA? Like everybody's talking about players getting paid, but there's more problems uh, than just the players getting paid here. Like, why am I not in charge of my future? Like you said, you know, we are the future. I'm going to college. You get an education. I'm paying for this through my athletics. If that's the case, a normal student that's paying their tuition, if they wanted to switch, they can go to another school and pay either more or less of tuition without getting penalized. Why can we not do the same thing? Are you is that what you're telling us that we shouldn't do? You're showing us preferential treatment because you're not allowing us to do something that a normal student would do. Yeah, I completely agree with you. So on this same vein, let me. Are you are you good? Can I can I tie this into something else? 
Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm good. I, I just had to get that you, off my chest. You got your really TB on us off. You got off your chest. Yeah. By the way, Miami six and six. North Carolina six and six. Both in bowl games. By the way, playing Temple <laughs> at eight and four and playing Louisiana Tech at nine and three. To the point. And actually, this is why I want to tie it in because it's kind of pivots off of that. You know, I'm looking at Memphis at twelve and one. That one loss being that, like as I mentioned, there's the two point loss to Temple, who's playing UNC in a bowl game. They went twelve and one, beat Cincinnati twice. You know, you know all this. I actually really wanted to come out there with that game with you, but in any case, beat Cincinnati twice at the end of the year. Beat SMU, the ranked team earlier this season. Finished seventeen, not even sniffing the playoffs, not even getting close to the playoffs. Uh, right outside the playoffs, you have Wisconsin, who you know got you know beat by Ohio State. Who teams? People were arguing that they deserve to be inside the top four if they beat Ohio State in that game. And I bring all that up just to say this, D'Angelo. Are you a fan of, does it need to be eight teams? And I, I say eight teams because I've been eight teams from day one before this college playoff even started with the four. I just thought eight set up better. You could I gave a whole breakdown of like how you could do the bracket and all that type of stuff. But here's my answer to eight. It's like eight is great because you should just do the power five, two wild cards, and then one non-power five gets in. Like it has to be a non-power five because... I want to see Memphis. I want to see Boise State a couple years ago. We saw what happened with that when Boise State wasn't even supposed to win that game. And Boise State surprised everybody in a huge upset with one of the best plays that we still remember in bowl history. Like, I want to see what Memphis could do against Oregon or Oklahoma. I want to see those kind of games. I want to see Alabama to be allowed to be in that final eight because what if Tua does want to come back? And I know he can't, but you know, what if an injured player comes back? You're telling me that Alabama couldn't still potentially win the championship with Tua back at quarterback. So I think eight's the answer. I don't like four. Are you good with four? Do you think we need to expand it? No, I think we need to expand eight for sure. Uh, And going by the criteria that you just said would be awesome. But it's crazy that, I mean, the power five is just that powerful to where, you know, we could lose two or three games, uh, probably lose one to an unranked team, you know, by one or two and still not move much in the rankings. It's insane right. because of the fan base. Like we we understand outside of the power five that fans make the biggest difference. Like if Tennessee was even close to doing what they were doing, you know, back in the days, if they were six and six or seven and five, you know, they'd be sniffing a, a big bowl game because you know, their stadium holds 115,000. Uh, and, you know, that's money. That equals revenue for the NCAA. I can sell out a bowl game with this team no matter who I put them up against. So we understand that, that that's there. But we also understand that they have players that are elite, and including their backups, are just as good as their starters, as you saw with Clemson just dismantling Virginia in that bowl game. We all knew that that was – the the talent level there and that bo- that uh the ACC championship game you was just like they're going against who like okay we'll 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 see them in the playoffs uh because they had a weaker schedule than anybody else but they stayed in the top five the entire time we played more top twenty five teams than they did but yeah, because I they mean- get the benefit of the doubt of being Clemson and having won it and having been there and being in the ACC would they get the automatic uh, New Year's Six Bowl birth from that that region. It's insane the structure, the way it's put up there. Because in the same breath, the NCAA will say, "Hey, this is our structure, but we also want to bridge the gap between you know the super talented teams and the teams that are not so talented in Division One, but not doing anything to fix that discrepancy." It's insane to me. There's a significant difference there. But as you, it being eight would be awesome. It'd be 
great if, you know, those teams knocked off. Like, I, again, I would have loved to see Boise State. But what I'd love to see more than anything is UCF a couple years back when they had you know, right. the Griffin brothers and they were just going around and just literally beating everybody and call themselves national champs. I honestly feel like they could have beat some of those teams, maybe the one, two, three team in the country. I mean, they beat Auburn in the bowl game, but teams like that, I'd love to see those teams that play out of their mind that year and uh, have all that significant hype behind them and go into a game and actually beat teams that they quote unquote don't supposed to be because they're not power five. All right. So let's talk NFL because I want to talk a quarterback with you. And I want to get your opinion, D'Angelo. We've got a quarterback and Jameis Winston, who is the epitome of for every good deed you do, there's a bad one. Uh, because at this point, Jameis Winston has the second most touchdowns in the league. He's also got the most interceptions, 23, the most total turnovers, because you also include fumbles with that. His completion percentage is 29th at 61%. What is this... If, I want to get to Jameis Winston, your analysis of Jameis Winston as a separate issue, because let's get to that in a minute. As D'Angelo Williams, if you're on this team, if you're the running back for this team, if you're Ronald Jones, if you're Mike Evans or Chris Godwin, the wide receiver for this team, seeing your quarterback, your quarterback, play like this every single week, knowing like, hey, for every good thing he does, he might also loses the game on the very next play because he's basically been doing that every single week. Does that wear on you as a player to see like your quarterback have as many turnovers, even more than he does touchdowns with that kind of erratic play? Jake, I'm going to back it up just a little bit. And okay. I, I just want to have some conversations with you before I answer that question. Uh, is Jameis Winston running for his life back there? Uh, before you answer that, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you some more questions and then you can answer all these questions for me. And then I'll answer your initial question. And how is it to play <laughs> with that guy? Is he running for his life back there? Is he the only one creating plays? Is his receivers not getting open? Like, is Jameis Winston literally the biggest name on his roster? And is he the Aaron Rodgers type? Granted, he's not making the plays like Aaron Rodgers, but is his name the biggest name in that organization? And do they have anybody else to help him? I understand that he has a receiver in 13 that – that can uh, Mike Evans and that can go up and get it, but is he separating this year? Is he making those parental plays that he need to be made? Because when I went over to London, I saw them drop a lot of footballs, and he was hitting them right in the hands. So if you can answer those questions for me, then I can tell you how it feels to play with Jameis Winston. So he, I would say at times he's running for his life, but not all the time. The offensive line is kind of middle of the pack. It has issues, as a lot of offensive lines do, but – I see that point. The second one is, yes, he does have options. Even Mike Evans, his entire career, Mike Evans, has had less than perfect hands. He's definitely not in the top tier, but he's still a top tier talent. But let's not discount Chris Godwin, who deserves to probably be in the conversation for top 15, if not better, wide receivers. So he has one of the best duos in the league, period, hands down. Uh, Also, he's got a coach that's wasting one of the best tight ends in O.J. Howard. We all know that. But one of the best duo wide receivers in the NFL. So... I will say he absolutely had, and Mike Evans now questionable for the rest of the year, but had the weapons. He does have to run for his life at some time. So there's your answers. So to play with this guy would be this. If I'm a running back, uh, which I am, and I'm playing in the Tampa Bay offense, my thing is to make sure that we don't get Jameis Winston rattled. He needs to have time in the pocket. We need to secure the pocket so he can make the decisions that he want to make, not those decisions on the fly. 
Because obviously when he has made these, these decisions on the fly, he's making erratic decisions. And that's how you get a quarterback that's tied for number two in touchdowns, but also tied number one in interceptions because he don't believe in the guys that are up front. He feels like, hey, I got to make this happen with my arm. It's the whole Brett Favre thing. Uh, Brett Favre is one of those quarterbacks that thought he can get sneak things in there and make plays with his arm. And I think that's what Jameis Winston is right now. And, you know, look at his team. Look where they are as a record. So now with that being said, we're out of the playoffs. I can make these cha- – I can take these chances now. So next year when I'm in the same position, I won't take those chances because I know my arm is not strong enough or uh, my mind or my ball placement is not accurate enough to put it where I want to put it. So I'll scale that back next year. So right now, I think as a football team and being Jameis Winston, he's taking not those calculated risks, but he's taking more risks than usual because he knows we're not going anywhere at the end of the season. So now is my time to take all my risks this year, get them all out of the way so I could be a better quarterback next year. We're not fighting for anything. All we're fighting for at this point right now is a better draft spot. Uh, so because of that, I'm going to take these calculate or uncalculated risks and see <laughs> if I can sneak a couple in and steal a couple of touchdowns because that's what I see. I'm just like, dude, why are you? Why did you throw that ball? And then, you know, he goes and make the tackle. He's like, oh, my bad, because he was trying to make it happen with his arm. Because well, you- he doesn't feel like the receivers that he have or the help that uh, Tampa Bay went out and got is enough to get him where he needs to be. And that's in the playoffs or ultimately in the Super Bowl. So because of that, he's trying to, you know, he's trying to compensate with his arm. Well, do you think some of it is the fact that he might be fighting for a job next year, being a free agent? Nah, he won't be fighting for a job, man. Who else? Who's going to take over Tampa? Who? (laughs) They could trade for Cam Newton. There's there's nobody in the draft that can step in and do what Jameis Winston is doing right now. John Bar- no, Joe the, Barrow. Any oh, of yeah, there's two, a lot of nobody, a lot of them can throw as many interceptions. <laughs> that, that, that that's exactly right. So with that being said, they're gonna keep who they got because they don't want to go in and well, they may keep him uh, and bring in like a rookie quarterback and have some of those you know have that New York Giants type feel where potentially you know he loses his spot and then you know they talk about the it. It's gonna be interesting to see where they sign him at because. Even backup quarterbacks right now, even subpar quarterbacks in the NFL seems like they're making $60, $70 million. So he's well on his way to signing a big contract, even with the numbers that he have. Like, it's some people, which is crazy to me, will ignore the fact that he's tied – I mean, he's number one in interceptions and just completely wipe that off and be like, oh, he's tied number two in touchdown and never see the guy's mistakes. And be like, oh yeah, he's definitely worth this money. See, but that's what I was thinking. Me, he might be costing cousins. You can look yeah, up all the quarterbacks and sign these big deals that went to these uh, the quarterback down in Washington. Like it is unreal to me how average quarterbacks get paid maximum dollar because of the position that they play. Hey, but like I said, that's why I'm 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 concerned in the fact that a coach might look at him and be like, I don't want to deal with this because the whole that was the whole thing going into the season was Bruce Arians hates turnovers. And he's supposed to be able to fix him, and he's the same old Jameis Winston. Yeah, but the, the 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 defense isn't stopping anybody, so it's not like you know you get down fourteen points. The run game well, is well. The defense at that has point. to keep getting on the damn field because the ball just got turned over. Yeah, but th- that's the thing. He's trying to create it with his arm. He has no help. No, oh, he's got. He has ton. He has. I told you, he has two of the best receiver. He has one of the best receiver duos in the NFL. Period. 
you can have the best duo if you want to, but if they're not getting open, you're Tom Brady in it. You're throwing it away. Oh, they're getting to open. Keep... Chris Godwin's getting open constantly. You think so? 100%. That's funny because, you know, I've I've always known the great quarterbacks or the good quarterbacks or the average quarterbacks always look for the guy that's always open. So it sounds like it's an offensive yeah. coordinator issue. No. And I'm you know definitely the issue not going to put it I'm on gonna tell you, No, no, no. No, no, no. Hold on. Now we're, we're going to disagree. Like, D'Angelo, I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. I'm going to say the exact same thing I said about Jameis Winston when he came out of college. His vision sucks. It's true. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't read the field well. He takes chances he shouldn't. That's why he has the interceptions. He doesn't always see the open wide receiver. And you know who else's vision sucks? I'll say this too. Kirk Cousins, you brought him up. When I, Kirk Cousins left, I talked about his years in Washington and watching film of him in Washington. He will have somebody streaking open the middle, over the middle wide open, overlook him to throw the guy that's triple cover 10 yards downfield. Some quarterbacks vision. Look, I could never play quarterback because my vision sucked. I get tunnel vision, and all right. of a sudden, I don't see half the stuff. The, the this thing is, Jameis Winston's just a poor decision maker, and that's fine if you want to play this way. If you want to play the Jameis Winston, you're a poor decision maker. You're gonna win for us as much as you lose for us. That's fine because we're seeing what that brings you. But that's why I don't know that Jameis Winston's guaranteed to have a starting job. I'm not saying that he's guaranteed to have a starting job, but he's definitely not guaranteed to have a backup job. That's Fair for enough. sure. That's so, all I'm saying. He'll he'll start. Perfect for transition. Because, no, 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 no. We we made our point. You're gonna ruin my transition. I'm going on, D'Angelo. I'm moving on okay. because I want a transition that's perfect. You just said not a backup job, and I want to talk about somebody who turned into having a backup job this year and got his job back last night against the Eagles in Monday Night Football. Depending on when you're listening, this might be two days ago. But in point being, Eli Manning goes from starter. They draft Daniel Jones. He gets benched for Daniel Jones, which how many times did I say D'Angelo? He is just Eli Manning. He's just younger and new, so people don't care. Uh, but Daniel Jones has an ankle sprain. Sounds like he might miss the rest of the season. Eli Manning comes in, and people go nuts for the first half, D'Angelo. Look at Eli Manning throwing touchdowns. Look at Eli Manning hitting the deep ball on Darius Slayton, which we didn't think he had anymore. And then all of a sudden, he goes right back to Eli Manning. The offense looks like crap in the second half. The cow- the I was about to set the Cowboys. The Eagles come back and win this game. I don't even want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about D'Angelo, his play. I don't want to talk about that. D'Angelo, this is what I want to talk about. Eli Manning playing in this game as a former starter slash now backup slash back to starter. Is this what, – what do you do as a teammate – when your quarterback has been benched for a rookie but forced to come back in and play because of it, like I kind of feel like like you would just kind of walk around and like give like a knowing glance at him and just be like, yeah, look, we know what's going on. I got I got nothing to say to you, buddy. Yeah, this this is a tough one. Uh and and here's why. I, I don't think I've ever been a part of of anything like this because you know, I played with Jake Delhomme when I was in Carolina and then you know, we played the Arizona Cardinals that year in the playoffs, and he had like six turnovers. Uh, we were leading the league in rushing. Not sure why we didn't run the ball as much, but Arizona jumped out on top of us uh, pretty quick. And then, you know, Jake had all those turnovers. And I was always told, you know, a quarterback, after having a bad game, to step back in the huddle and demand the attention of everybody in that huddle and, and hold their attention is a quarterback that has, you know, a great tenacity – and that's a leader, and that's a great quarterback. The next year, you know, uh, you know, he come in. That was ultimately his demise. 
uh, Jake went out and then we went through the years of having Jimmy Clausen, having Matt Moore. <laughs> and then, you know, we, I guess the team decided, Hey, you know, screw this. We're going with Cam Newton. And Cam Newton came in and obviously, you know, they have the issues that they have over there with Cam, but I'm saying all that to say this, uh, I, I, I had never been a part of a, a guy that had to start the spot and then got benched for another guy. And then they brought the other guy back in. You just got to roll with who you roll with. You can't help who you work with. If, as long as you make the plays that you are supposed to make, and, you know, when you go to the sideline, you can say to yourself or under your breath or in your mind, like, oh, this guy is trash. Like, he's not playing well at all. I just don't understand why there's not more coaches in the National Football League, like on the college level, when a guy's having a bad game or he's struggling, they don't make the change right now. Like, make the change right now. Give the guys the opportunity to win. Obviously, you see this guy can't get it done. Bring the other guy in. He's struggling. It's bad. You know, you had your opportunity. You wasted it. You squandered it. Give this guy a chance because he can't do any worse. But they don't do that in the National Football League. They stick with it because they don't want to have a quarterback controversy. And then all the money that you're playing, paying to these starters, you know, you don't you don't put a Porsche in the garage because you hear a knocking. You just keep driving it. <laughs> so so it's, it's me, this is where I want to go to my question. This is I want to bring up your, your your quarterback issue that you were telling me earlier this year and that they finally had a quarterback, and they got the better quarterback that used to play for the Eagles. If you're the Jaguars, do you go back to Nick Foles this week after what just Gardner Minshew did? You know what? I'm glad that you brought that up because last week, last week, you made a very disrespectful comment about me talking about Nick Foles being a Jaguar savior, and then you made it a point. We didn't even get a chance to kick off the show. You had to throw the whole Minshew thing in. About, oh, yeah, you see what happened to your guy, don't you? Like, you always want to throw up in my face when you think I'm wrong. And then now you come back and say, hey, do you think Nick Foles should always be the starter there? Granted, he picked bad days to have bad games. We all going to have, you know, bad days. We just don't want those bad days to affect the outcome of a game. You know, you can still throw one or two picks and play awful and still win, but you need a defense to do that. And when you don't have that defense, again, you have to do like Jameis Winston and you got to try to make things happen with your arm, and that's what Nick Foles did and well, was doing. And Minshew tried to do the same thing. Yes, you go back to Nick Foles because Nick Foles is a proven winner. He's a proven MVP Super Bowl winner. He can do it. What Carson Wentz isn't is what Nick Foles is. What Minshew oh, is is not what Nick Foles again? is. He has the juice, and they should keep that in mind when they're talking about benching him. You know, Daniel Jones and Eli Manning, Eli Manning used to have the juice not because of his arm, but because of the defense that he had. He no longer has that cushion, and now we see Eli Manning for what Eli Manning has always been is an average quarterback. Yeah, and you know who won the game on Monday Night Football with nobody at wide receiver? Carson Wentz. N nobody? <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say Ertz is one of the best tight ends. Granted, he's a tight end, but he is a yeah. receiving tight end. Right. And he led the yeah. way. He was throwing to Josh Perkins, Greg Ward, J.J. Ortega, Whiteside, no Alshon Jeffrey. He was throwing to nobodies in Zach Ertz that game and still threw for 325 yards and two touchdowns. Give give Carson Wentz some respect. Man, I, there's there's none to be giving there because he, he made still Boston Scott relevant. That he, you know what? We'll talk about that later. He, <laughs> I'm just gonna hold my comments until I go ahead, Jake. <laughs> 
I'm just going yeah, so, to hold those. No, this is good because we can transfer right into the playoffs for the NFC and we can talk about what's wrong with it. So last time we started from the bottom to get here. Are we doing that again? Are we starting from the yeah, bottom? Yeah, we, we, we always got to start from the bottom to get to the to the cream of the crop. They said the cream of the crop rise to the top. So we got to start. <laughs> hey, before they was the cream, they had to start into that liquid form. So well, we're starting to I want to pivot one way, way with it then. So technically, if we want to start from the bottom in the NFC, I mean, we could talk the seventh place team right now fighting for the playoff spot or what I think is the real bottom of the NFC D'Angelo, I think it should be the six and seven Cowboys and the six and seven Eagles fighting for the NFC East. I think that's that's the true bottom of the NFC because the NFC East is beyond miserable. And oh my God, it, it, like somebody's going to win the division and get a home playoff game. How about this? You just tell me who's winning the division and then tell me what their biggest issue is. Okay, the Cowboys and the Eagles winning win this the division. division. <sighs> the NFC East, right? <sighs> um, I hate to say this, but. The the Jerry Jones Cowboys are probably gonna pull off the NFC East. As crazy as it sounds, and and I've been looking at this all day and I've been trying to figure out why. But the as it relates to MVP candidates, I'm not sure why Dak Prescott is not being talked about. I can tell I know why, because they're six and seven is why they're not talking about it. Just like Christian McCaffrey is not being talked about anymore. Uh, he's still having the games that he's having, but it's the fact that his team, if you want to win an individual award, you got to have team success and they're not right. having team success. This is one of Dak Prescott's best years. Best year right now. He's their number one in passing offense with Dak Prescott. He's number one in the entire football league. So the offense isn't the problem the and... offense isn't the problem at all what is the problem is the cowboys rush defense and their ability to move the ball on significant downs whether it's the the defense getting off on third down or the offense extending drives on third down they should just you know we know that they can run the ball with zeke elliott we know that they can pass the ball with deck prescott you know this this potent defense that you spoke about before the season start i have yet to see that damn defense oh no it's that i, I feel you like you punked that. me jake you punked me <laughs> before the season started by uh talking me into believing in the cowboys defense that never <laughs> was it, it definitely has struggled injuries or not uh look i expect oh is that what you're doing defense. everybody has injuries jake no i injuries said are a part of the game i said being hurt is a part of the game don't give me that not crap. I said, or not injuries, or not. There was an or not in there. You got to, you can't, you got to listen to okay. the whole so, thing. So, are you going to say you were wrong, or are you going to say you just misjudged it, or you? No, somebody you, else got you weren't listening again. I just said, I told you a few weeks ago, and I said it as soon as you brought them up. I said I was wrong about their defense. I was wrong about it being a playoff caliber defense. It certainly isn't. But I also don't necessarily think. Look, Dak Prescott is having a great season. I think if you talk what? about what. He's having a great right. season. I haven't finished. Don't, don't, don't expect what you're expecting. Let me finish the statement. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Look, he's having a great season. The fact that they're six and seven is glossing over some of the things that he's done. But I will also say this, D'Angelo. No, I don't think he's in the playoff conversation because I'm going to give you out of their seven losses, only three of them were like, hey, you know what? Those aren't on you. Four of those losses were 100% on him because it was – 223 yards, zero touchdowns, a pick. 278 yards, zero touchdowns. 212 yards, zero touchdowns, and a pick. 
And then last week against the Bears, 334, one touchdown, zero interceptions. That's respectable. The Buffalo one was respectable. So I'll say his losses, half of them are on him. And I think that's why, like, again, I think he deserves to be in the conversation, but I don't think he deserves to be near the top because despite them being six and seven as part of the problem, he is the reason behind some of those losses. Well, you do realize that the Philadelphia Eagles is the team that they have to beat. And the Philadelphia Eagles just squeaked by a limping, wounded, half-dead New York Giants team. Yeah. I, look, I don't disagree with you, but I, I think that either team's going to be one and done because they both have the same issues, the defense. Yeah, that their defense is bad on both sides as it relates to stopping the run and pass defense against the, the pass. So let's move up. Let's talk. Let's go to the teams that might actually have a shot at things. So right now on the outside looking in at eight and five, but all getting hot at the right time, so to speak, Rams are eight and five. Do you think they can make the playoffs? And then even if so, what's the thing holding them back? Because I have a strong opinion about this. Okay. So not only the fact that they're playing in the hardest division in football, this this team, the the Rams, if you look back last season and you look back right now, they survived by controlling the clock running the ball. They're not running the ball anymore. I'm trying to figure out when Jared Goff became this passing quarterback that will win you football games and not allow (laughs) you to set up. They used to go run, run, play action pass, (laughs) run, run, play action pass. They're not doing that anymore. They're putting their defense. uh, Their defense has to hold up in situations that they used to hold up in, but they're not holding up. in now we're double teaming. Aaron Donald and we're picking up we're picking apart your corners because your defense as as far as uh you know the pass game is not what they used to be you know you plugged in um the the corner Jalen from uh the Jaguars maybe he doesn't know the defensive system as well as uh uh Peters before they let him go and him him going to Baltimore maybe that's what it is I'm not sure what it is but that offense as far as golf taking over the helm and not handing the ball off to Ty Gurley and those running backs and establishing that run, that's what their issue is. They've gotten away from what made them the Rams that people used to fear. Run, run, play action, run, run, play action, or play action on first, second down to get them to commit to that run and play management football versus Jared Goff trying to beat teams because they have the (laughs) defense to stop teams. They just don't have the defense to continue to stop teams when you turn the ball over or get off on significant downs like third down. Like those three and outs hurt this defense if they're on for long periods of times and it's showing. Yeah, That's so their you problem. Said, you know, you, you, what the true problem is, you meant you said his name a couple times. It's Jared Goff. It's Jared Goff. It's Jared Goff. That's their problem. He can – you want to talk about Jameis Winston losing games – Jared Goff can lose games. I, 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 I want to get your opinion on this, D'Angelo. You're saying he's losing games because you're not used to seeing him win games because that's no, all up to Ty no, because this is and that play no, this, action. Yes, yes, but he, exactly. Thank you. Like, so Jared Goff, this is what I said last year. This is what I said this year. Continue to say Emery Hunt, who writes for us at The Athletic, is a scout, one of the best in the business that I've ever known. He scouted 750-some-odd players last year for the NFL draft. Like, people that are going to be playing in the XFL, he knows them. So... He brought up to me. He pointed it out to me. I gave, like, as much as I do, he's at another level. Like, he's the Tom Brady, and I'm, like, Kirk Cousins. Like, that's where, like, the difference is. Like, I can do a really good job, but not compared to him. So, he brought this up. Last year, during the bye for the Rams, teams have started figuring out that watch Jared Goff and watch the communication with Sean McVay 
as soon as the headset clicks off, which you know because you've played the game, D'Angelo, the headset clicks off, it's all on him. And teams' defenses started disguising their coverages, waiting for the headset to click off because they knew Jared Goff wasn't smart enough to figure it out for himself, and Sean McVay was getting the best out of him possible. If you go back from that date till today, Jared Goff is a significantly worse quarterback. And I've been watching the entire time. Again, credit to Emory Hunt. He's the one that pointed it out. And I do want to ask you that, D'Angelo. When the headset clicks off and the quarterback has that much on his shoulders and he can't make those hot reads, he can't make those adjustments before the play, he can't audible off to something else, his ability is just its kind of similar to Jameis Winston. He's not good at reading the field. Well, he's not really good at reading defenses, and I think that's why you still see some flashes of Jared Goff, but he's nowhere near that quarterback that had everything told to him by Sean McVay. Oh, that's that's the college that's their college coach. You know, they look to the sideline and kind of show you where to yes. throw the ball, the coverage that the, the defense is in, where you don't have to actually read the defense. You know where you're going with the ball, and that's what it is. And I remember Ben Roethlisberger. He used to get mad and like he just say stuff, and I'd be like, "What the hell did you just say, Ben?" He was like, "Oh no 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 no, I'm I'm, I'm talking to Todd." So he would give the play, <laughs> and Todd would say at the end of the play, "Hey." Watch the backside. You know, they might be in cover two. So that outright might be there. And he would tell him, stop telling me that because even if it's not there, when I drop back and I don't, I go through my first, my second read, in my mind, I hear you saying, hey, you know, that back out is open. And I just throw the back out because you told me to look for that. And he was like, and it'll screw me up. So stop giving me suggestions. <laughs> Give me the play and let me be the quarterback that I know I am. And I didn't understand that until, like, you know, after games and stuff, he'd be like, yeah, man, he was telling me to do this because obviously you can't hear what's going on in his headset. So when he would say it, I'd be like, dude, you know, what happened? He he would tell me, he was like, dude, he's telling me, you know, watch for the out route or watch for the breaking in cut if they're covered. He was like, I, just give me the damn play. I'll do what it is to make me who I am. <laughs> and I was like, I, I get that. I respect that. So that's why you would, you see some quarterbacks when they go to the sideline and they're frustrated and they're upset and they're yelling at the offensive coordinator, it's not because of necessarily the play call. It's probably what they tagged along with the play call, like the extra information that wasn't needed that probably influenced them on the pass that they threw. So there you go. So he's the, the complete opposite of Jared Goff. He's the complete so, opposite. He's, Jared Goff is like hey, the play-by-play. Look for that play. backside <laughs> out. He throwing that damn backside out every time he dropped back. All right, so let's go to the current sixth-place team in the Minnesota Vikings. What is their biggest issue? Because your MVP candidate is on this team in Dalvin Cook, so what's the, what's holding Absolutely. them back? Over 1,100 yards. And you know what? I've been very critical of Kirk Cousins, and this is not me apologizing. This is just me pointing out the fact that he's thrown for 24 touchdowns and only four picks. The problem is not on offense. It's not. The problem is on defense. They're very Secondary. average as it relates to giving up yards. They don't give up many points. They give up a lot of yards. And Oh, I that secondary like is trash. Just it, say it, D'Angelo. It's trash. Yeah, it is. <laughs> they give up a lot of yards. They don't give up a lot of points, though. But when you get in the playoffs, all those yards that you're giving up going to equal touchdowns because all the teams that are ahead of you right now are all scoring touchdowns. They're getting a <laughs> lot of yards, and they're getting a lot of touchdowns. But the, the good thing about it is, is some of those defenses that we're talking about as it relates to the Vikings is going to relate to a couple more teams as we get on up there in the, the rankings here in a few minutes. But, yeah, their defense is it's, it's, it's awful, man. They give up a lot of yards. But they've been pretty stout in the red zone. The problem is people are scoring from far out. 
And yeah, that's why they're racking up so many yards yeah. and putting up those points. Xavier Rose and Trey Waynes have been a, two of the worst. Actually, one of the, you talk about the great wide receiver duo. They've been one of the worst cornerback duos in the NFL this year. It's crazy. You you mentioned this a couple shows ago about just be a good quarterback for a couple of years and you're getting a huge contract. They fell off, Both of them fell off so quickly together. All right. Fifth seed currently in that division with your 49ers, one game behind the Seahawks. What's holding them back? It's the same thing as the Vikings. Their defense is not as good as it. (laughs) Outside of the middle linebacker, which he's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. Wagner? Who else can – Who their cornerbacks are not stopping anybody. Their defense is not rushing anybody. Uh, I think the um, uh, Jadavion Clowney has three sacks. Like they, they're not putting any pressure in on on pass. The rushing coverage is not working together, and the offense can't afford to to come out slow in a game because if they do, then it's they're playing catch up the entire game. You know, Russell Wilson has his hot streaks. You know, he was part of the MVP conversation for a while. Not anymore. But then you look back now, and you're just like, well, he's not playing as well as he was early on. That's because let me his let me pause defense, there real quick. Do you think some of that is because Tyler Lockett hasn't been healthy since their bye? Because the numbers, so because you and I briefly talked about this before the show, and I'm, I want to pause there and ask you this question. The first nine games of the season for Russell Wilson, 68 completion percentage, 21 or 22 touchdowns, one interception, D'Angelo. The last four games, his completion percentage has dropped 5%. He's only got four touchdowns and four interceptions over his last four games. That's a remarkable drop in production and do you think it all hinges on just Tyler Lockett no I I don't think it's Tyler Lockett I think what's happening is is the fact that their defense has given up so much that you know that luxury where he had to run their offense where they can run the ball when they wanted to run it pass it when they want to pass it where that option of running the ball when you fall behind is null and void and now you got to throw it and make you a one-dimensional offense and teams can plan against an offense that's one dimension, one dimensional in, in which you have to throw the ball to catch up. And that's why his numbers have dropped, because if I know you're going to throw the ball, I can literally call pass defense the entire game and not have a problem with it. And you'll throw more picks and less touchdowns because you're one dimensional versus when you can be two dimensional and running the ball and throwing the ball and throw a defense off and continue to run the offense. So the first nine games, he was very, he was very, uh, really good and very accurate and had insane numbers. Is because they didn't fall behind and wasn't playing catch up. You look at the last four games, they're playing catch up. They're playing, they're playing from behind, trying to make sure that they don't get blown out because they know their defense at any given moment those floodgates are open. If you hear my voice here, that means we've reached the end of our ride. But there's good news. You can listen to more of the show and get 40% off by subscribing to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash to be honest. That's theathletic.com slash to be honest. You'll be able to hear the full show and D'Angelo's most honest takes of the episode. Okay, now you know. Tune in next week and we'll talk soon.